Always look forward to the conversation at 9.30 on Tuesday. My friend Dan Schaefer, political columnist and writer extraordinaire, joins me from the recombobulation area, and he's always got a lot to say about politics in Wisconsin. How does Tuesday find you? Doing well, Steve. How are you? Thanks I, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I always want to kind of give some attention to the things you're writing about, and one of the things you're writing about is something that's really important because it's unique in Milwaukee is the fact mm-hmm. that we have some very positive budget news and uh, the reality has changed. And uh, our good friend Rob Hankin from the uh, Wisconsin Policy Forum, I think that's the new name of that, that organization, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Used to be a public policy forum not too long ago, um, has called it mind-blowing. Yeah. Tell me why you think it's mind-blowing or why you think he said that. Well, so I talked to Rob for this piece that I was writing on Milwaukee's budgets. And typically in the fall in Milwaukee, we have a fairly... Usually it's a pretty contentious budget process. It's a street fight. Yeah, it's you know whether it's a debate within the Common Council, debate about what the mayor is proposing, you know whether the county board has issues with the county executive's budget. Always kind of a contentious time uh, for Milwaukee. That wasn't really the case this year, though. Though both of the budgets, you know, there were some minor disagreements at the city level about property taxes. The county fewer disagreements, but they both sailed through uh, pretty easily, all things considered. Uh, when it comes to you know a budget for a, a city of six hundred thousand people, a, a county of about a million people, and I think we need to to stop and take a beat here and recognize this uh, because this is a pretty momentous achievement that Milwaukee is. For the first time in a generation, talking about not which what's going to get cut where and how and when, talking about turning the dial the other way and making some investments and and making some you know targeted uh, increases in uh, a, a variety of different aspects uh, of the budget and you know for the county it's not only increases in the budget it's the first property tax cut in more than thirty years mm-hmm. significant. And, so, and it's significant so I talked to Rob Henkin of the Wisconsin Policy Forum you know he writes a budget brief every year he's been doing it since like two thousand nine when back when it was the public policy forum but he was even a budget analyst for the county dating back to the nineties and well. I've read every one of those reports and they often were very scary often bleak often yes. very bleak and it's like you know how are they going to keep the lights on in this department how are they going to be able to you know keep these numbers where they are in this other department and now when i interviewed him he said he's like the the forum is not big on hyperbole but mind-blowing is the word i'm going with so i think we need to take a beat and recognize you know leaders have done some really important things for milwaukee and wisconsin obviously the shared revenue and local sales tax bill was a huge huge part of that act 12 was a huge huge part of that but i think we have to take a pause and, and appreciate the fact that mayor cavalier johnson county executive david crowley Getting this city on the right track in terms of its budgets. I've got to take another quick break here. Dan Schaefer, my guest from the Recombobulation Area. How do folks find that? You can find it at therecombobulationarea.news and the Recombobulation Area on Substack. All right, take a break. Think about this during the break, Mr. Schaefer. All right, so we, we've, I don't want to say solved our budget crisis, because there's still about a 10-year window where things are going to be challenging. But I want you to think about how we got here. You mentioned the you know, Act 12 and all that stuff and all the hard work. And, and I, wanted, I want you to kind of dissect how we got here. But more importantly, the question is, over the next few years, let's mm-hmm. say five years, mm-hmm. can they continue this positive outlook? So we'll, talk, we'll have that conversation with Dan Schaefer after this on WTMJ Now. Dan Schaefer, my guest. Political writer, Eureka Bobulation area, and talks about a lot of the things that we talk about on this show and other shows. So I asked you the question before the break. We are in a very, very, to quote Rob Hankin, mind-blowing environments for budgets in Milwaukee, City of Milwaukee, Milwaukee County. So my question for you, Dan Schaefer, is 
Is it a one year of good news, first budget cut in a long time, our first uh, tax cut in a long time, or is this a uh, a long-term positive prognosis? I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think you have, there are still, of course, going to be some challenges on the horizon, um, you know, when it comes to Milwaukee's budgets, and the policy forum kind of went into some of that. Uh, but but also, I think it's it's first important to to mark the, the turnaround here, the mind-blowing turnaround uh, and also recognize, you know, some one of the big drivers that is that is fueling that turnaround, which is Act 12, the the Shared Revenue and Local Government Act, and and there are two ways that that bill is going to help Milwaukee in the long term. One is, you know, the obviously the obvious one of having the local sales tax, having more of a diverse mix of revenue sources, uh, is going to make the city less reliant on property taxes, going to going to be able to plan things in a little bit more of a robust. Uh, comprehensive way, but also the way that the shared revenue piece was drawn up by the state legislature in their proposal, you know, not not exactly tying it to inflation, but tying it so that one cent of every five cents collected by the Wisconsin sales tax, that that goes to local municipalities. So as the sales tax, you would think grows over time, the collection of the revenue from sales tax grows over time, that that is that is tied to things, because one of the big problems that we had going into this budget cycle, going into the last few budget cycles, was that shared revenue was flat for more than a decade under Republican control in, in Madison. And that had basically an effect of a hundred million dollar cut every year to the city's right, budget. Because the cost one. of government because keeps the cost going every, up. keeps going up. Yeah. yeah. Which I said like five years ago, but nobody listened to me. The cost of government keep yeah. going up. If you don't that's not sustainable. You know, if you can't raise your tax levy for a lot of different reasons, Act Ten and others, you you are in a a situation where you it gets dire pretty quick. And we all know about the exploding pension costs in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. those challenges. So looking at this big picture, yeah. Is this an example and now you've been I know you've been pretty critical of the Republican-led legislature. Is this an example where both sides and the governor figured it out? I think this was a pretty good example of bipartisanship in Wisconsin. Uh, there are some, of course, some uncomfortable things that each side had to had to swallow to get this over the finish line. Some of the policy things, you know, just as a as a you know someone who leans to the left, some someone who's from the city of Milwaukee. I don't like the fact that they put so many policy requirements on the city of Milwaukee in that piece of legislation. But also, I think it's really important the way that they changed the relationship with state and local taxpayers across the state. It's not just a Milwaukee thing. It's something that's going to have a real impact across the state. And I do think, I do think that, you know, the, the debate involved some bipartisan compromise. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. Does it solve the problem? I don't think it solves it. I think it, it is part of a long-term solution. Now, we would not have a long-term solution without it. Right. Because I think, it, you know, we were facing a situation where the city was going to basically have to cut 25% of its budget going forward if it didn't have some sort of mix in, in the revenue in the long term. If this is Act 1, the mm-hmm. Shared Revenue Bill, Act 12, what's Act 2? Better government? Leaner, more efficient? Uh, more efficiency uh, from your workforce? Um, I mean, pick something. What What's Act 2? Well, for, for Milwaukee or for... Yeah, for Milwaukee. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it is about... The next chapter, I think, has to be building upon this turnaround and not being getting back into a situation where you're talking about fiscal cliffs and budget cuts and things like that. You know, the, the county is something that I've covered a lot over the years. And the first column that I wrote at the recombobulation area four years ago was how the county was facing this looming infrastructure crisis. You know, things like the courthouse building, the safety building, the deferred maintenance backlog at the parks, the domes, the at the time, the museum, things like that. 
I think it's about turning the dial in the other direction and starting to, you know, make investments in, you know, it, all the baseline stuff that the city does, public safety, public works, uh, you know, better trash pickup, better snow removal. You're not campaigning on those types of things, but those are very important. But also at the same time, it is, you know, whether it's investing in affordable housing, increasing the transit budget, you know, uh, increasing the uh, Department of City Development, what they can do to, you know, invite uh, more investment in different parts of the city. I think those, you know, it's kind of that those incremental changes, one piece at a time. You don't, you don't build the, you don't build the ship all in one day, right? I've, I've had this conversation with local leaders for a long time on the show and away from the show. The hardest thing to do as a local leader, that's big cities, small cities, rural areas, whatever it is, is to sell infrastructure investment to your residents because mm-hmm. they see it as a big cost. They don't necessarily see the reward. And there's a lot of great local examples. I'm not going to call anybody out in, by, by name or, or in particulars, but there are a lot of examples of how this investment, well, I'll do one because I know the story well. Drexel Avenue Interchange mm-hmm. didn't exist. We decided at some point if we were going to develop that area, which was kind of pretty rural, some residential, but a lot of open space, we had to invest, along with the states, in a interchange. We did that before there ever was an Ikea or any of the development that's there currently, and there's still room for more development. That is a hard sell, and it was a very hard sell because it, it lost many times previous administrations in Oak Creek and even during the one right before me. A lot of tension. That's the hard sell for local leaders. Is Milwaukee City, Milwaukee County, do you think the Common Council and the County Board understand how to sell that investment? Because it's a, it's not just talking about it. Do they understand how you got to sell it to taxpayers? Because it's an easy talk radio topic, right? Mm-hmm. Why in the world would we spend eighty million dollars on the domes? Well, sell it to me. Mm-hmm. You going to make that number work? That's the question that I have for our local leaders. How do you, how do you make that argument so the voters can sit there one day and say, you know what, that makes sense. I'm going to do. We're going to do that. It's a challenging one, but I think you know it. it you, they have an opportunity to to produce some demonstrable results on a number of things. I know the mayor is taking a very different uh, strategy to the Department of Public Works, just as one example. You're seeing some of those, you know, infrastructure changes on places like Walnut Street, where you're getting uh, some of those separated bike lanes and some of those new streets and in some of the new, uh, you know, advanced engineered streets and things like that. We're going to start seeing some of those results, and I think it is about building on that and building on that momentum. You're right; it is a hard sell to to you know, sell on infrastructure projects. You've, you've been at these public meetings. I've or? been at these public meetings. They they get some pushback when you when you want to spend somebody's uh, <laughs> hard earned money and, and with good reason. But I think they're you know it's it's uh you know the the value of infrastructure. We you know we've seen it in so many ways over the past few years, bipartisan infrastructure law uh at the federal level and I think at the state level too. You know, what just one example last week Federal government said that they wanted to uh, replace all of the lead pipes in the country over the next ten years. That would be a, that would do a lot of good for Milwaukee. That would be something that people see right right in their yards. I would have uh, I would have been more impressed if they would have done that ten years ago because that's an issue that should have been resolved many many years ago. And because of political stubbornness and a lot of other things, it, it's been ignored. And and frank, frankly, the the issue is so dangerous and has long-term implications that it's embarrassing that we're still dealing with this. Dan Shaver, my guest, recombobulation area after the break. A lot going on in the Wisconsin Supreme Court, including a date that apparently passed without much fanfare. Kind of flew under the radar. Yeah, we'll discuss with Dan Schaefer after this on WTMJ Now. In studio with Dan Schaefer, political columnist, 
Ten-time winner of the Milwaukee Press Club Award. Uh, and by the way, we'll be at the Newsroom Pub tomorrow, uh, tomorrow night or Thursday night. One of those nights, <laughs> talking with all of our other media friends uh, for a good cause, the uh, Milwaukee Press Club. Um, all right, so I had Brad Shibble, who's a, he's a current Waukesha County judge, running for the seat currently held by... Rebecca Bradley. Not, oh, that's the wrong Bradley. It's the Ann Walsh Bradley. That'd be an interesting, yeah. interesting race. It's, against, yes, uh, it's, yes yeah. that would be very interesting. <laughs> um, it's um, it's confusing to have two Bradleys on there, but that's neither here nor there. All right. So, what I'm curious about is you talked about this, and I saw some other reporters mention this. There was a date mm-hmm. that would uh, would have made for an interesting conversation and talk radio fodder that has sort of come and gone. Yeah. Explain. Yeah, I wrote this piece at the Recombobulation Area last week. You know, there was, of course, so much noise earlier this year about Republicans threatening to impeach Janet Protasiewicz. Even before she had heard a case, they were threatening to uh, impeach her over comments that she made uh, on the campaign trail. And in the Wisconsin state statutes, there was kind of an interesting quirk uh, of timing when it comes to, you know, a special election, election. So if the Republicans were to impeach her in the legislature, they would have kind of needed to do so by December 1st, by last Friday, uh, or else Tony Evers would be able to appoint a replacement. And because of the way this, those statutes are written, it would need a special election to occur when there's not already a scheduled Wisconsin Supreme Court election on the ballot in the spring election. Well, 2024 is the last time that there's going to be an opening for quite some time. So basically, if now that we're past December 1st, if Republicans do impeach Janet Protosiewicz, Tony Evers could appoint a replacement who would serve now until 2031. Yeah. So eight years, seven years kind of seems like if they were going to do anything about this, as they threatened to repeatedly over the summer months, they kind of needed to do so by last Friday. So the obvious question is, why didn't they? Well, I think the pre- the, the pushback that they got uh, from those impeachment threats from from Democrats and from others Saying that, like, hey, look, we just had this election. She won by a double. Janet Protasiewicz won by a double-digit margin. I think you were saying this, you know, at the time that this, these impeachment threats were pretty ridiculous. Just go win the election if you, if you want to. If your ideas yeah. and your mission statement is the right one for the voters of Wisconsin, just win the damn race and yeah. stop playing games. It's not that complicated. Right. So I think, you know, all the pushback was so immense, and I think it was starting to get national attention because the race got national attention. But I think the Republicans cooled off on that uh, just a little bit. And now we have reached this kind of key threshold in that debate. You know, I remember talking to a lot of political political insiders when this impeachment threat was floated in this December 1st date kept coming up and then very quietly last week we arrived at that date and we've passed it and and now we're and now the the redistricting case is is continuing to to march forward yeah it's interesting that now we will see the the new courts their work products mm-hmm. cases on abortion redistricting in the months and since we're talking at the end of this year years ahead before the next race and there's always another race always another challenge for both sides and i i did ask uh, Brad Schimmel, the question, Judge Brad Schimmel, the question about whether these races are really nonpartisan. And he admitted these are completely partisan races now. So we can call them whatever we want to call them, but these are partisan races. And I, I, and I think have been for some time. Yes, and I think yes, that too. And I think, you know, a lot of people were talking about the, this most recent race as well. The, the courts are politicized. Well, they've been politicized for quite sure. some time. I think you can go back to the Michael Gableman election in 2008 right. if you want to look at a real turning point for when 
the courts really became politicized. But you can't flip it from a conservative court to a liberal court unless there are already some deep-seated politics at play there. So the last race was the most expensive Supreme Court state Supreme Court race in our nation's history. Will this one exceed that? It's very possible. Yeah, I mean, because of the because it will be you know a liberal justice uh, running for reelection and the and another opportunity to flip the court. I think it will be it will be another high profile race, and then the following year, Rebecca Bradley will be on the ballot. Uh, she's a conservative justice. Another opportunity right after that to to run against her to to perhaps flip it back. So I think this is going to be something that's going to be big in politics in Wisconsin over the next decade. Absolutely, not, not my descriptor, but uh, Supreme Court wars. Stay tuned, mm-hmm. Dan mm-hmm. Schaefer, my guest. One more break, and then we'll get to the closing comments from our outstanding political writer and friend, Dan Schaefer. After this on WTMJ now. I wanted to make sure we got the date right, so it's Meet the Media Night, Milwaukee Press Club. It's Thursday nights. Let me get the hours here. It's uh, at the Newsroom Pub right on, what street is that there? It's on uh, Wells, Wells, right? Yeah, Wells. Wells and Water, basically. 5 yeah. to 8.30. Great great cause, Milwaukee Press Club. Free and open to the public. You're, you're bartending. I'm not working. I'm just going to be there. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking one of the uh, one of the media bartending what time shifts you at 6.30. 630. So if you want to come by, I'll pour you a beer. Have you ever bartended before? I haven't bartended, but I've... I, Worked a lot in the restaurant industry yeah. uh, growing up as a, as a waiter mostly. Uh, so you know that you and, know the and be, as a cook and all sorts of different things. I can I can pour a drink or two. Yeah, two tips: keep your fingers out of the glass, <laughs> and don't even touch the rim. And two, uh, people like a lot of ice when they ask for it, so don't like be skimpy on the ice. All right, yeah. all right. It's if they tip. ask for ice, it's a good tip. Neat, another thing. All right. So um, we wanted to talk briefly about, well, I forgot what we're going to talk about. Now we're chatting so much during the break. What were we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the Wisconsin Elections Commission and the Republicans proposing abolishing it and putting the election administration into the secretaries of state's office. So other states that way, Mm -hmm. uh, most famously the state of Georgia, which led to a whole other box of hijinks. So is there a right way, wrong way? Is Is any chance of... Succeeding this I, well for one, I don't think it has any chance of going anywhere because the Everson administration has already put out a statement that they said that they would veto any bill looking to change the way that the elections are administered in Wisconsin. I think we all know that these election bills are driven by the 2020 election denier conspiracy theory nonsense. So I think we got to take that into consideration with these proposals as well. But, you know, look, the Wisconsin Elections Commission was created by Republicans in 2015 uh, to make it a bipartisan commission instead of a nonpartisan commission. Do you want to put this into a partisan office, which the Secretary of State is? It could be controlled by one party one year and another party the next. Is that the best way to do it in a swing state like Wisconsin? I'm not so sure that it is. I don't know that you can easily figure out what is the best way. Every state's unique. Tradition matters. We've we've had several versions and variations of how we administer our elections. Right now, this this is how we do it, and I g- agree completely. As we let you get out of here, that the this is a legacy of 2020, mm-hmm. and I say over and over again on this show every chance I get, stop talking about 2020. The election's over, and you can pick and choose things you don't like about how we administer administrate elections. You can say that about every election, large or small. There's always something that could be done better. Ask a clerk; they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Let the experts decide, and, and when you start in interjecting partisanship and all that that entails into anything, including this Wisconsin Supreme Court race or governor's race or whatever it is, it makes for a convoluted mess that's often filled with not facts but fiction. That's my 
two cent speech on that. Can't argue with you there. All right. Well, that's a good way to end. We're in total <laughs> agreement. Dan Schaefer, Recombobulation, or how do they find it? You can find it at the Recombobulation area dot news, the Recombobulation area on Substack, and you can find me on Twitter at Dan R. Schaefer, where I occasionally tweet about things other than the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes, occasionally. You're very heavy, heavy Bucks, which is nice. In season tournament tonight. I'm excited. Yes. Well, they, are they going to win this in season thing? I don't know. I, I think they can beat the Knicks tonight at home, though. It's just about money, right? I mean, that's the prize. And fun, I guess. (laughs) I don't don't know. know. I don't think so. (laughs) All right, Dan Schaefer, we'll see you next Tuesday.